The bedrock and surface deposits of Pennsylvania span over a billion years of geologic time. I guess we can say that Pennsylvania literally rocks. Welcome to the PCPG podcast series. The Pennsylvania Council of Professional Geologists formally invites you to join us on a journey to explore the geology of the Keystone State and to meet the people who study it and work with it in their everyday lives. Welcome, everybody. We have a special guest for this episode of the PCPG podcast. I would like to introduce to you Dr. Adolfo Quesada Roman. Dr. Roman is a geographer and geomorphologist. He studied at the University of Costa Rica, where he obtained his bachelor's degree. He has a master's degree from the National Autonomous University of Mexico. And his PhD is from the University of Geneva in Switzerland. And I'm proud to say that I got to watch his thesis defense. (laughs) His research lines are geomorphology, natural hazards, risk assessment, dendrochronology, and geoheritage. And with an impressive more than 70 indexed papers published in Europe, Africa, and Latin America. He works for the Department of Geography at the University of Costa Rica. In addition, Adolfo is my dear friend, and together with Daria Nicotina of Westchester University, we authored the recently published book, The Traveler's Guide to the Geology of Costa Rica. Welcome, Adolfo. Thank you very much for this invitation, Russell, for me. It's 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 very special to have this invitation. I'm very, very happy to collaborate to this talk. I'm uh, I'm open to questions after this, this talk. And please feel free to contact me after this this information, very nice information that we will have during this talk. Okay. Well, we're very happy that you were able to join us, Adolfo. So the first thing I would ask for our audience is, what is geoheritage in general? Geoheritage started in the 90s, at the beginning of 1990s as a movement from the geology and from geomorphology, especially movement in Italy, movement in, especially in Europe, but in in the UK and spread to South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. And they started to identify uh, specific places with a marvelous or very pristine, perhaps, uh, attention to geologists and to geomorphologists. In, in two, then you started with two big lines. One, they started to call them geological interest sites, for example, and then they basically merged to geosites. But at some point, the geomorphologists started to talk about geomorphosites, more from the morphology way to see the landscape. Instead of, the, of the only the formation of the rock or the formation of the soil, or the outcrop, for example, of fossils. That's the difference between these two big concepts of geosites, more from the geology, let's say, and geomorphosites from the geomorphology. Um, There are bigger, perhaps, concepts that merge all these, these, uh, let's say, studies. First is the geoheritage, no? So it's it's the study, the discipline, or the science that study all the, the, the relationships that uh, define places that are unique, let's say, from its formation, from its dynamics, and they have a very uh, important or unique uh, 
conception from the cultural aspects. They have cultural, they have paleogeographic, or they have even socioeconomic importance in, the, in their surrounding areas. That's geoheritage, let's say. After that, um, they started, let's say, let's talk about the geoheritage specialist. They started to say, okay, but how we compare, for example, places, I don't know, a volcano in, in, in the Polynesia with a volcano in, in Mexico. So how, how we say this Paricutin volcano in Mexico is more impressive than the one I have in, let's say, in, in Tonga. So they say, well, we have to create different evaluations. So they started to make valuations that are uh, based on the uniqueness. For example, this volcano has a certain, let's, let's talk about this, this example of volcanoes. This volcano has a unique dynamics in the last I don't know, thousands of years. Uh, it has a very close relationship with the culture. For example, in Polynesia, sometimes even the tattoos that they have, for example, the Maoris or other of these indigenous people have volcanoes in it. So look, there are important things behind. The bills, for example, in, the, in this country, let's say in Tonga, they have volcanoes in, in, in their drawings. Uh, I don't know, for example, I think many places have names related with the volcano. But for example, once you, ecological values, for example, you have endemisms that certain tree or certain herb, certain bird that lives only in those volcanoes, no? But then you go to Mexico and you say, okay, you have a beautiful volcano that you, you could see at, let's say, Paricutin. You saw it during the World War II and you see once the volcano started, evolved and died, no? And then you say, well, this is very impressive, but in terms of cultural aspects, perhaps it's not that high, no? Do not, it's not bigger than, for example, Popocatepetl for Mexico, that is even bigger, no, in, for them. So then you start to compare. That is called the evaluations of is your heritage evaluation, and there are many very very good uh, researchers. For example, Brila from Portugal, Emmanuel Reynard from Switzerland, uh, Mario Panizza from Italy, and others. And you have other people very very well known in the UK. For example, you have Dawson. Uh, and now, right now, I'm, I'm forgetting some names, but those are the key uh, authors of this topic in the world. After that, Yohirtach evolved in the term of geoparks and is geoconservation. So once you have this very unique place with many geosites or geomorphosites inside, you want to protect it. So you go to the authorities and you say, okay, we don't have enough national parks, or we go more for a cultural aspect of the place, and we need to protect it. So start, then the geoconservation started. The first geoparks are in the UK, in South Africa, more, more these Anglo-Saxon, let's say, roots, countries. And then in Europe, they started uh, a huge uh, movement you know, in Europe, in France, in Spain, in Italy, Italy is one of the top countries, in Russia, in, in Switzerland, and the Eastern countries of Europe. For example, you have many uh, geoparks in Romania, Bulgaria, um, Czech Republic, and others. Um, this movement is spread 
in the last, especially in the last 15, 10 years. And for example, in China, you have a huge number of geoparks right now uh, with very good uh, evaluations, very good descriptions from the geology, from the geomorphology or geography and spread out in Latin America. The bigger exponent in Latin America, let's say that is Brazil, number one. After, afterwards, perhaps is uh, Mexico, and then is Peru. And in the similar level, Peru, Costa Rica, Ecuador is another country with a lot of geoparks. Costa Rica has a lot of studies, but not geoparks. So it's, it's, a, it's contradic contradictory. And then there is another another line of speciality that is geotourism. That is how we promote this and create money for the local people. No? We create economy, economy chains. So it's geotourism. It's how you promote this using banners, using brochures, using websites, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, this is a, a small resume of geoheritage in, in, in my own words, let's say. Okay, very interesting. So here in the U.S., we can always point out some very obvious geoheritage sites like the Grand Canyon. I know you visited there, Yellowstone. Um, are there some geoheritage sites worth knowing about in Costa Rica or in other Central American countries? Uh, let me see. Yes, of course. In, in Costa Rica, for example, right, we depend on uh, tourism. We rely on tourism a, a lot. And for example, we had the most visited volcano in Central America, a Poas volcano. Before the eruptions in 2018-19, it was the most visited volcano in Central America. But if you continue Central America, you have different, uh, let's say, geomorphic environments that you need to promote. It's different. No? When you promote, for example, volcanoes, you have a lot of volcanoes in Nicaragua, in Guatemala, in El Salvador. Costa Rica is only promoting, let's say, four or five volcanoes, let's say. They're the most touristic ones. But, but if you go over Guatemala, they have 20. If you go over El Salvador, they have 20 that you can reach easily. You, you go to Nicaragua, this tropical dry forest, and you can see the forms. You can, you can see the landforms very clear without vegetation. The most uh, incredible aspects, for example, the volcanoes in Costa Rica, it, it's vegetation. So you have very dense vegetations and suddenly, boom, you, you, are, you are on the crater. So that, that's the different thing, perhaps, with these other countries. Afterwards, you go, for example, with karstic environments. In Central America, especially in the north, with the, related with the Mayan culture, you have vast uh, extensions of car of karstic dolings, tower cars, the underwater cars. You have a lot of aspects, caves, for example, in Honduras and in Guatemala, even more than southern Central America. After you have, for example, the, co the coastal areas. And in the coastal areas, you have from geologists from the Jurassic to the Quaternary, and you have magnificent beaches, you have cliffs, you have tombolos, you have sea stacks. It's, it's amazing, no? And then you have the mangrove, you have the, all these deltas along the Pacific, a lot of deltas, more estuaries in the, in, the, in the Caribbean side of Central America. Remember that Central America 
borders is with, with the Caribbean, not with the Atlantic. So it's, it's different dynamics. And after perhaps you can add some places that are related with geology and with geomorphology, but shaped by the ancient cultures. Let's say the all the all the all the, the archaeological sites. You have a lot of archaeological sites, for example, in northern Central America, that they use the landscape in a way to promote their cultures, their civilizations. So it, it's an it's in, in my own opinion is a, a different. A position that geoheritage can promote. How, for example, they build uh, a pyramid using karst boulders, no, or uh, so limestone boulders. So how 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 this was possible, no, and and they retain erosion during you know hundreds of years, centuries. But on the on the other side, you have fossils, and you have. A lot of outcrops of fossils in northern Central America, especially. We had megafauna during the Holocene, during the, the last part of the Quaternary, during the last glacial maximum in the lowlands, especially. We had a lot of uh, megafauna, mammoths, and other big mammals. And there are many outcrops in Central America, especially in northern Central America, especially in the lagoons and the lakes. So you have many places that you can promote. Central America as well. Going to the fluvial part, you have in these changes from the mountains or volcanoes to the flat, flat plan, flatlands, you have a lot of waterfalls. You have waterfalls, you have a, a lot of a, a, areas very interesting in terms of fluvial geomorphology or in, in, in geology, in dynamic geology. You have wetlands in northern Central America, more than in the south, you have big um, lakes. And these lakes have a very interesting history of how climate have changed during the last uh, thousands of years. So Central America is not only volcanoes, let's say, it's, it's more than that. And well, recently uh, I was leading a project that was in the Pan-American History and Geography Institute was uh, paying for this, for this project. And we recently uh, published a paper in land that is called something like geodiversity, geoheritage, and geotourism in Central America. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. So you've mentioned geomorphosites, and I, I know uh, from looking at your publications over the years that a number of years deal with geomorphosites. Can you elaborate on those for our listeners on the concept of a geomorphosite? A geomorphosite is more related, especially with, as the word says, with geomorphology. So it's more to understand how that process that formed that landscape or that specific landform is unique and has a relationship with the culture of the surrounding area. So that's a geomorphosite. When, when you do the characterization or the evaluation, you have two big branches that merge in the, in the middle. One is the geomorphological characterization and the other one is the cultural valorization. So once you have that, you can merge and you can say, okay, this, this place has a value from zero to, to one or because you, you make some averages. So from sometimes I, I've made this, for example, with volcanoes here in Costa Rica, and a volcano in Africa, in Cameroon, or in Canary Islands, in, in, in Spain. 
So you can you can uh, compare the different places using these uh, indexes or these classifications. At the end, um, I think that the geomorphosites have a, a specific topic, let's say a specific dynamic, but the general term that I'm starting to use even more, I think is geocide because geocide includes geomorphosites and the fossil part that uh, I, I was missing, I think in my, in my, in my publications. Okay. So we can bring that under the umbrella of geocytes. Exactly. Okay. I was going to ask if geoheritage sites are equally recognized in other countries, such as European countries. But as you mentioned, it appears that this has spread around the world. Especially uh, in Europe. In Europe, it's, it's even more uh, strong than in the other countries. I think it is related, in my, in my opinion, for this recognition of the landscapes. And for example, I studied in Switzerland. What the what the Swiss do during a weekend? So they go to hike. They they go to hike. They have the fondue. They they drink wine in the mountains. Uh, they cut some cheese, and that's it. No, that that that's what they do. No, so they, they really recognize the value of this uniqueness of the Alps, for example, or other areas, not only the Alps, but other countries saw that from the UK, remember, or from. The, 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 that European perspective of the world, and they started to say, okay, we have a lot of information of these places from science. Let's try to translate this information to a single public, to a general public, let's say. So they started to make panels, banners, uh, brochures. And sometimes for me, the most interesting thing that, it, that perhaps is different from America in general, no, United States and the rest of Latin America, that normally in Latin America, we have the, the idea of the survey of uh, protected area service from the United States. And we only say, okay, this is an area that is surrounding, the, this has these limits, has this area. There are the, 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 for, the, 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 the forest guards are there. Uh, you have to go, you have only one or two accesses and you can go trail, perhaps you can camp in some specific places, but you can do more, no? That, that, is, that way is different, for example, in Europe, that you have open spaces without, a, let's say, a protective uh, condition. It's just open and perhaps they, sometimes there are even private properties, but they are open and you, you see the cows and you see the goats and you see the horses, whatever. And you are inside a private property and you're just walking, you know, but you are seeing a huge glacier in front of you or you are looking, you know, a, a broad floodplain and people is just putting some information and they have their huts. You can stay there and they're promoting indirectly the tourism. You know? And this tourism in, for example, in the tropics or for example, Costa Rica, developing ecotourism, no more, more to, to go to see the frog, to see the specific plant that makes an ecological relationship with some specific animal. But there in Europe, we're thinking differently, you know, in more, let's think why this volcano is have this weird shape or why this glacier turns in the, to the right and not to the left. And they started to make these panels and information to people to understand. 
So that's a different way to see, I think, in my opinion, no, because I, I, I'm from the two worlds, not from America, let's say, and to Europe as well. But I saw, for example, in Asia, I went to Indonesia and we went to some beautiful places, waterfalls in these karstic environments. And, and, they, and they moved the information in a different way. More not in panels, not like that. If not a person, go to the place in front of the group and I started to state, to, to give all the information, pay attention. And he was looking at all of them and I'm going to give you a talk. I need you to pay attention. And you see all the tourists, and you see the packs no, of Japanese or Chinese that are like, not like pains. The same, the same. They were like there and just looking at the information and paying really attention seriously to the, to the guide. And the guides, they had a lot of information and they have very good relationship, for example, with universities. They all the time are trying to cope with information right now. So different ways to translate the information to the public. I think at the end, this movement, let's say that in the, the bigger umbrella is geoheritage, but at the end, uh, the bigger, let's say, pursue is geotourism because it's, the, it's money you know, behind and geoconservation if if the heritage the geoheritage is not conserved it will be destroyed and there are many uh, studies since uh, 15 years ago uh, of the impacts that can have the overcrowding of these places and the relationships for example with natural hazards as well so you have to is management behind you you need to really manage these places if not you you will destroy them Okay, that's interesting, and that that leads me to uh, to my next question. And this this reminds me of my students. My students are always asking you know, when I'm teaching something. They say, you know, is this important? Does this have immediate impact to me? And so my question is: aside from preserving these sites for future generations, which is obviously uh, important to you, to you and I as as Earth scientists, will preser preservation of these sites benefit the public welfare in other ways? Does it make the public safer or is this more of an enrichment experience? Both, because many people will, will become benefited for this. For example, the local uh, people surrounding the, these areas, these places. And the idea from the universities and the academia, from earth sciences, is you are giving key information to these people and they really treasure this information they said okay this is important i have to protect it but sometimes they are alone no and they are overcrowded because many guides for example here in costa rica sometimes right now is happening that one person goes and says oh look that's a beautiful waterfall that we never met before and immediately thousands of people going without the management plan uh, some accidents because sometimes you have to cross rivers, you have to go to a waterfall. You know, that's a problem because that right now with the with this information era, right, you have a lot of information. You have the the ways positioned. You can go tomorrow if you want. So that that's a problem because it's it's going too fast, and sometimes you don't you don't make that transition in the proper way. You need to to go faster right now for example i'm trying to make a, a different approach that i think 
haven't been made in, in, your, in your heritage or your tourism, that is, okay, you can do this in places that really attract your interest, but why not to do it, for example, at a county level, at a municipality level? Why not to sell to a municipality to say, okay, you have a beautiful municipality, a beautiful administrative political unit. Why not to promote the places that you that you have over there, making a, a study that first is an inventory of the place, of the places, after evaluation, description in the geomorphological, in the geological way, after how these sites are related with the local culture or even a upper level, regional or even national level. And then you can say, okay, now this is a study. And now you can promote it from the, from, from the uh, let's say, governorship. And then you decide. Now you have another tool to promote the tax, no? for taxes. You have more, more information that you can give from the municipality and you can say, okay, promote these sites, more touristic guides, more jobs. So, and the locals, more restaurants, no? more, more touristic guides, companies. And, and so on. So at, at the end, this is, this is key information that will continue increasing worldwide. Um, is, is a way or is an output from the earth sciences. That's a different thing that normally who whom is promoting this is from the, I don't know, from the tourism, pure tourism, not knowing the whole picture of how, what, how this mountain uh, I don't know, was made no, during millions of years or with more scientific uh, language. You've done an excellent job of explaining geoheritage to us. I've run through all of my questions. Adolfo, do you have anything else that you would like to add? I think that, that the United States have a huge, perhaps enormous, I, I, I don't know, another uh, huge adjective, but opportunity or potential to promote this this kind of of, of science or discipline you have beautiful places and right now i'm trying i'm trying to develop this discipline in two lines from what i have seen in costa rica one is the one i just mentioned that municipalities can promote their own places and they can promote uh, more taxes more jobs whatever and the other thing is from our perspective in America continent, no, United States, and we used the, the protected national, the national protected area system from the United States as an example in many countries. For example, Costa Rica, we have that, that from the United States. So it was more from a conservation view, no, not protection of the management or that. No, we only conserve and you can do anything over, <laughs> over the national the protected area. In some, in some degree, that was super important in Costa Rica during the 80s, the 90s, and shift from a huge deforestation rate to conservation, to eco-tourism, and I hope to geotourism in the future. But at some point, another way is to use protected areas that already they have their guards, they have their system, their management plans, and many, many... They, they are organized, so it will be simpler to use those sites that are already made and not produce new geoparks. Only, let's say, for example, you have Grand Canyon National Park. Well, why not the 
Grand Canyon, a National Park, and Geopark as well, no? You just promote it, you make the evaluation, you make everything, and then you go on. For example, the many areas, I, I, I can stop, no? You have many, many areas that you can make that. The Everglades, uh, let's say, no? You have the Everglades uh, protected area. Okay, let's make this a geopark because they have these specific sites for manatees, these sites for crocodiles, this, for this, for this, for this. Let's, just to mention one example, but you have thousands of places that you can use in the in, in this in this way. Okay, very interesting. Well, uh, Adolfo, I want to thank you for joining us tonight and talking about this. Uh, you are lucky enough to live in one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful places in the world. And uh, as I said before, I look forward to the next time I am I am down there visiting <laughs> you again. Thank you. No, I'm I'm proud you say that and. We Costa Ricans are very proud of our country and we are very proud when we receive those words from, from, from people from the United States, from Europe, no? and because we, we really know that when you come, the, a vast majority of foreigners want to come to, to visit and to live in Costa Rica. They, are, they really want to to take care of the country, no? They 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 really want to bring the good things from their countries to our country, and normally we start to change, no? The the things that we we don't have good enough, we try to make them at least good, no? So it, it, for us, it's, it's very proud to to hear that. Yes, very true. Well, thank you again, uh, Adolfo. Uh, thank you for joining us and sharing your insights with us. Thank you. No, thank you for the invitation and have a nice one, everybody. If you have any questions regarding GeoHeritage, feel free to contact Dr. Quesada Roman at adolfo.quesada at gmail.com. That's A-D-O-L-F-O dot Q-U-E-S-A-D-A at gmail.com. If you have any questions regarding this or any previous podcasts, I can be reached at soildude at comcast.net. That's S-O-I-L-D-U-D-E at comcast.net. This episode of the PCPG podcast, a poorly sorted but well-rounded series, is a production of the Pennsylvania Council of Professional Geologists. A special thank you to Cheyenne DeLawrence for the introduction. These podcasts are hosted on several platforms and are also available on the PCPG website. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking a moment to give us a rating and leave us a comment to let us know what you think. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. PCPG is a nonprofit organization working to advance the practice of geology and the allied sciences and the success of our members through advocacy education, and networking. Whether you are a corporation, a professional, or a student, please consider becoming a PCPG member today. Just visit our website, pcpg.org, and be sure to check out the resources tab. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Russ Losco.